Hello and welcome to the Odd Job Pod. And in particular, you join us here in our rummage through the action movie landfill. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Gary Andrews. Hello. And Terry DeFellin. Hello. I'm in the big chair today. I'm in the big chair because this is how we're going to be doing the action movie landfill. This is how we're going to be where we are knee deep in busted up VHS uh, cassettes. We're, we're, we're going to be handing round the mantle of, of being the, in, the, in the chair and hosting this. And of course, at the end of every episode of the, of the action movie landfill, we'll be passing on the baton to the next host. And uh, we'll, you'll see how that works later on in the show. If you were here for our, uh, our talk on the transporter, you'll know how much we, we really get into these films. And of course, we don't forget that we're part of the Odd Job Pod. This is actually the Under the Odd Job Pod uh, umbrella. And so we do have a habit of falling back into talking about Bond about things or comparing things to Bond. But I'm not sure how much comparison we're going to get out of Bond today, because uh, today I, I went big. I mean, I'm a, this was my first choice on, on in the landfill, and I, I went big. I went, didn't just go big. I went ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, stupid, some might say. Uh, for today, yes, listeners, put your seats in an upright position, stow away your luggage in the seat in front of you, because we are taking a flight on Con Air. Now... There's no easy way, way, way of, of, of really sort of easing our way into this because you know, that's just not what Con Air is about. Con Air is just telling you exactly what, what it's all about. Well, is it though? Because this is one of those films that is, well, it's all action for the second half, but most of the first half an hour of this film is just exposition. In fact, there is so much exposition. When the things aren't blowing up, they're actually delivering some exposition so they can blow something up, can't they? So, um, <laughs> Gary... I'll start with you, because you've usually said a lot by this stage of the podcast. So uh, I think it's only fair that I let, let you come in, just so, so that you feel at home. Um, how long had it been since you saw Conair last? And after you watched it, did you think, I really should have watched it a lot more in the intervening years? I'll, I'll take your second question first, Graham. <laughs> and the answer is yes, yes, I should have watched it far more during my the intervening years. I I probably would have... Last seen it all the way through, I reckon somewhere in the early 2000s, actually. Um, but I've got, I just remember watching it back then and going, this is a ridiculous film, a brilliant film, but a ridiculous film. And then I will have caught various, uh, I would have caught it on TV at various points in time where, you know, you tune in halfway or it's on late at night and you, well, I don't think this is a film that you'd really drop off towards the end of, because even if you're pretty tired, there's no way that once you get into the first bit of blowing things up, that you're actually going to fall asleep at, at this point. Although that said, I did once know somebody who fell asleep during a motorhead gig. So I'm guessing anything is is possible. But it is a it is a ridiculous film. It, and it's one that I think is all the better for being. A ridiculous film um and you said we weren't quite sure whether we'd get any bond in here's, here's one of the few bits that i can talk about bond in in the regular listeners of the odd job pod will know that we say that a film the best bond films are the ones that know what they are from the very start and there is no question that this film knows what it is and is not trying to be anything other than it. Um, I think I've read an interview, I think it was with Simon West, the, the director, where he basically said, we weren't entirely sure if we were making a Jerry Bruckheimer movie or taking the piss out of a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. And I think that's really all, all you need to know. It is a film that, I, I, and there's a lot of love freaks. When I, I kind of mentioned to my extended family in Australia what I was doing, um, all of them went, oh, Connor, I love that film. I haven't seen it in ages. So, you know, it's a film that I think has, even if you haven't seen it in a long time, the memories that stay in there um, are mostly positive because it is just such a fun, ridiculous, high concept ride. I, I'd echo that, Gary. And and Terry, it had been so long since I'd seen this film that I, I it was more the idea of, of Con Air stuck in my mind rather than the film itself. 
But there's so much more to it than that. And and watching it again now with modern eyes in, in a modern world, it just, it seems so good. I'm not afraid to say that. This is a good film. It's ridiculous, but it's a good film because it's ridiculous. And I don't think, I don't say it's ridiculous because it's open to ridicule. Because if you do, if, if you're someone who's just going to stand up and ridicule this film, then you're obviously missing the point entirely. But I think, as Gary said, that, that, that quote from Simon West, the director, is, is really on point, isn't it? If they made this film like this now, it would be just presented as satire, wouldn't it? It would be just a satire of America, of, of everything about of, of life and politics and, and, and social media and everything. And it, it would be so difficult to make this film now. But of its time then, it, it's almost impossible to, to, to comprehend how they come up with this idea and, and yet keep it so relevant to today. When I first saw this film, I will be honest and say that I was think I think I was too po-faced and too serious-minded, um, and I lost my patience with it. I kind of thought that the that the learner field sequence was the climax, and then when it wasn't, I went, "Is this film still going on?" Th- this movie is, is it kind of crosses genres as well because yes, on the surface, it is an action film, and I think. In all sincerity, I think it's made to be an action film. But it is also a piece of absurdist cinema. Um, it's not satire. Um, I don't think it's knowing enough to be satire. But it is clearly, you know, it's taken... It, it, it's, it, it's a ridiculous film with ridiculous concept. Everything is absolutely supersized. And everything is so ludicrously intense at the same time. And yet, the reason why it succeeds is that Everybody is taking this film very, very seriously, particularly the actors. The actors are all absolutely 100% committed to their roles, no matter how ridiculous the characters they're playing are. And it's one of those situations where where if any one of them was to slip, or it would be like dominoes toppling, the whole thing could go in. The film walks a fine line between being actually a really almost a high art concept movie about how to make absurdist action cinema to being a complete and utter joke um, and, it, and in that respect it, it succeeds and it's actually only got better although it's dated it's aged beautifully and in fact it's just as watchable now as it was back then it, possibly more watchable actually than it was then I was also going to say as well, because you, you talk about the satire element of it, and I agree, it's not really satire, but it has that element in there. You wouldn't necessarily associate Jerry Bruckheimer with with high art, but I think you can definitely make a case that he was so knowing in terms of what he was doing. The Conair, when you look at a lot of the other action films that sit around that period, is very, very different. And the only kind of real comparable I can think of is probably the work of Paul Verhoeven. And I'd be really interested, like if you had Paul Verhoeven directing this, I think it could have easily gone up another level into high art because you had uh, Starship Troopers that came out around a very, very similar time, which a lot of people didn't get at the time, but has improved on viewings. And uh, looking back at some of the reviews on, um, on Con Air, you can see that, again, at the time, I don't think a lot of people necessarily got it, but the more people have watched it, the more they've gone... Yeah, they, they, they've got a really clear idea what they're doing here. They're not just making this for the sake of blowing shit up. It's clearly they're having a lot of fun in terms of trying to take where they've been before and going on better. And they know that this is absurd. Whereas I think some of the other um, films within the Bruckheimer um, canon of, of his productions probably don't have quite that level of knowingness that sits in there. He knows what he does and knows what he's good at. But this is almost like he's going, right, we are taking the handbrake off on this one and seeing how far we can push it. Uh, Gary, let's let's expand upon what, what, what Terry said about, about the casting, about how interesting it is. Because you've got basically this film with... Um, with Nick Cage, who twelve months earlier was in in a very powerful role in uh, Leaving Las Vegas, and now he returns to Vegas in what I think some people call the Vegas trilogy, uh, with with this and Honeymoon in Vegas as well. Um, 
I, I, <laughs> it, it makes for a fun evening in that one does <laughs> yeah you got to watch them in the right order <laughs> um uh, but you've got so you've got this basic action movie with a peppering of stars from basically indie films a load of people that really aren't actors at all and 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 then you you get um a director whose previous work was the Rick Astley video, Never Gonna Give You Up. Um, so <laughs> how does this all come together and make, and and how do they get it right? It's such an unusual casting. And I think if, um, if you look back on it at the time, and again, it's probably kind of, you look at the cast in, in the time that it came out, it is a really surprising set. I mean, nowadays, if, if this was the same cast nowadays, they'd all be in Marvel movies. Um, but back then, you wouldn't put them in, you know, in this type of film. You have, yeah, you have Nick Cage, who, yes, he'd, he'd done The Rock. Um, but at the same point, he kind of, you had a feeling that he was an indie actor that was, you know, could do blockbusters if he wanted to. And it was coming through in that way. You have Steve Buscemi, who is a, a character actor, probably best known at that point for Fargo. You've got um, you've got John Cusack, who is is most definitely associated with indie cinema. He, he's probably the most unlikely of all the actors that crops up in this and famously basically said, look, I did it because I wanted my name on a billboard because I thought it would advance my, my career. He, I don't think he had a lot of love for the script at the time, um, but he did. I think he, it's grown on him a bit from what I can see with, with later interviews. And then you've got John Malkovich as well, who um, again is just a fantastic character actor. And again, if I'm bringing a bit of bond in here, I would have loved to see John Malkovich as a bond villain because every single line he delivers is, is just absolutely perfect. The guy is, you know, Mal John Malkovich is mildly unhinged on screen at the best of times. Um, famously, I think it's just after this movie, him and John Cusack made Being John Malkovich, which is one of the strangest films ever made, and is is just a very much in that kind of indie offbeat sensibility. And yet here you have them here blowing up shit essentially um and yeah it's it's a really kind of diverse odd cast and if you were going to put together a cast of an action movie nick cage you could probably get away with ving rames definitely because he, he was in mission impossible uh, as well but then you've got um then you kind of look at it and go this this really is odd it potentially shouldn't work but then i think um scott rosenberg the the writer actually said that he wrote a lot of it with the characters in mind so he wrote uh wrote um larkin's character with john cusack in mind when he was writing it um and i think it, unusually they were quite lucky in that they got the actors that that the writer had written for so that probably makes it a bit easier i think he's he was good friends with steve buscemi and and basically said i am going to write you in a part uh famously i think dennis leary wanted it as well and sent a very creepy letter to to um the producers basically begging to have steve buscemi's part in it but again they they weren't budging and i think malkovich and cage were always the first choices as well so again when you come back to it's a clear idea of what they want the the writer had a really clear idea who was in there. And I think that that plays to it because, again, you try and look at could you swap any of these um, actors out? And I'm not really sure you could. I'm not really sure you could bring in like, I mean, this is a bit absurd, but could you imagine bringing Tom Cruise into the Nick Cage role? You'd have a totally different film and it would be nowhere near as, as fun or as good because Cage just takes everything so unbelievably seriously in this film and again it's all the better for it i did read somewhere that uh malkovich's role had been uh screen tested by willem dafoe and mickey rourke with varying degrees of of success but so obviously they they they, they got their man they wanted uh malkovich and it works really well but terry you you look down this cast and for a mid-90s film this could be if you were going just on the cast alone this could be a Tarantino, it could be a Coen Brothers, it could, could be a David Lynch film, couldn't it? Yeah, it feels like that, that what's happened is, is that Jerry Bruckheimer has at a point in his career where he's got licence to put to do something like this, to make a big budget all-action film, but say, actually, I'm going to recruit 
from an indie cast. I'm going to get people who are famous, but not necessarily A-listers. Yeah, okay, Malkovich, Cage, actors of considerable substance. Um, but but again, yeah, Cage, although like done the rock, still not necessarily not not the action movie star he's he became known as he's still very much in that thing but for me it's Colin Meaney's casting I think is also total genius I mean that guy is on every American's TV sets every week on Deep Space Nine as the chief and he's an absolute arsehole in this in this film but he's a really nice the chief is a great guy everyone loves the chief in DS9 right and so he turns up and he's this complete sort of like right wing populist Trumpian arsehole um, and 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 he clearly loves it, relishes the role, and he's, these are the casting choices that they make. Every decision they make in this film is the is the right one. Well, yeah, and to come back to uh, well, to 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 expand upon um, Colomini's character here, of course, is is the fact that yeah, he is the the he is the action guy, isn't he? He's the man of action, whereas. Uh, whereas Kuzak is the man of thought, isn't he? He's the man of, yeah. uh, he's the thinking man. He's he's the liberal in this, and and he's the one who ends up being the hero. Well, and and so what sort of action movie is this? When the guy who is who is getting ready to get in the attack choppers and shoot down the plane uh, is the one that people shouldn't be listening to. Since when did he become the bad guy? What 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 a crazy situation this is. It is. It's it's very very sort of like Democrat Clinton. I mean, if you like Blair, right, it's very much like, you know, the Tories have lost. They may never be coming back because it was 1997 and we all thought they were never coming back. And of course they did. They come back with a vengeance. Um, and, and, and Con Air of 2023 would be a very different film as a consequence. But yeah, it is this, it is right again, the idea of Vince Larkin, this, yeah, this rather geeky guy played by this indie actor, sort of like to an extent playing that, that's that you know that that coast co-starring role playing the good guy playing the hero um and making it work but there is also that kind of cultural awakening as well about about geek culture and nerd culture and the nerds are the nerds are are, are beginning to take over the world at this point we didn't realize they'd all be absolute pricks at the time <laughs> but but they were just beginning to sort of like you know you know, become more. It wasn't about jocks; it was about the nerds, and and maybe kind of Vince Larkin kind of reflects that sentiment that's that, that's that's coming through at this time. Yeah, I was I was going to say as well when you look at the the Larkin character as well, he's really unusual in that um, he's very knowing about the system he's in. He's a, he's a massive critic of the prison system, and yet works within it as a US Marshal. He's he's a really, like the way that the character is written and the scripts, and again, I don't think any other actor than John Cusack could have really pulled it off as the sandal-wearing, Dodgievsky-quoting uh, liberal that is basically shipping inmates uh, across the country on a plane, um, and yet at the same point in time is working as a US Marshal. And, and all the other characters are, are, can, that sit within law enforcement are total hard asses. And then, yeah, you, you've got this guy here who is basically saying, yeah, our prison system is completely wrong. And yet I am willingly part of it. It's a, it's a very unusual, contradictory character. That, and I think again, we talked about how it stands up. I think that's one of the reasons that it stands up in that the sensibilities of Larkin, if anything, have aged probably quite well and his counterpoint in in uh, Colmini's character Malloy have have grown as well because you can see how almost they, those two characters have developed since the since 1997 you've almost I mean this is stretching it a bit but Larkin is is probably the closest thing you've got to Barack Obama and then you've got Trump that immediately follows him in, in Malloy yes see See, listeners, that's what Conair did. It predicted everything that was going to happen in the next 25 years. Yeah. That and The Simpsons. <laughs> that and The Simpsons. It's all there. It's all written out. Just behind Gary, I can see it right now. There is actually loads of sheets of paper stuck to the wall with red string like going from point to point. We are through the looking glass here, people. Let's, let's talk about individual sections of the film. Uh, overall... There's always information coming in. It, it's a constant onslaught of information, this film. 
whether it's 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 information with the with like that thing has just blown up or that man's head's just been crushed or that man's arm's just been ripped off or that man's just been killed accidentally whoops there goes another there goes another convict or a guard or whatever um but everything in here there there's never a cutaway scene there's never a cut scene that is too short or any little bit of information down to down to um, John Cusack's sandals, or the or the guy picking up the knife in the in in the uh, in the in the car park fight right at the beginning. So so let's start at the beginning because in the original script, Cage's character was meant to be a pretty much low ranking street hood who was just basically got in the wrong place at the wrong time. But they decide to make him basically someone who is sent to prison by injustice and not willing to 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 take the easy way out and serve his serve his time because he believes in the system and the system does him over would that be done nowadays would we would we see that opening sequence now or would people just be incredulous and thinking knowing how how the system protects people like that in in, in the real world and uh, if we were to remake this film are there scenes that just wouldn't be believable now um, because of, of how social media works and how the discourse has gone on I- I- in this time? Would that would that first half an hour have to be radically changed? Uh, in 2023, version would be, no, you, there's there's no way. It's not, it's not even remotely feasible. Um, you know, a white war veteran um, who got into a fight a bar fight and accidentally killed someone would would could, could conceivably walk away with a suspended sentence. I'm not particularly averse to the the law in the US, but you know we, we've seen a number of 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 cases in the past where where privileged white men have found themselves on the wrong side of the law and have miraculously been able to escape uh, custodial sentences. Um, but the film sensibilities reflects that still reflects that kind of post Vietnam resentment um, that that you can that you can go back to the 1970s and 1980s with movies like First Blood for example where 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 you know veterans were treated like bums um, by a lot of a lot of people in the in in the US that there was a lot of bad feeling about some of the wars that they were in it's completely different now post 9/11 attitudes towards war veterans amongst fellow american citizens is incredibly different it's like 180 um the attitudes from the states towards veterans has uh, has is completely unchanged in fact if anything it's even worse as 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 i'm sure anyone from the states would understand the number of war veterans that, that live in poverty uh, these days but now it's all thank you for your service and now it's all you know discounts special discounts for war vets you know if you're a war veteran or if you're a serving officer will you please come to the front of the queue that's that's the culture that's american culture now but in 1997 it wasn't really like that and so that's one of the things that dates the movie is the setup but it doesn't matter because the movie's 25 years old and 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 really it's just a way as you say Graham they just said well look, what what should we do that looks that seems what what can we do that will make us buy into this character will make him an inherently good guy will make him a man who 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 fights for us and that makes the fact that he's capable of committing manslaughter easily quite plausible um, and then it makes it clear that he's one of the good guys and it, and it, and it sets it up really well because obviously you know the stakes can't couldn't be any higher for Cameron Poe through the entire movie. And every choice he makes, he's fighting against the fact that that he's trying to get home to his wife and his daughter. I think um, as well <laughs> as as you were asking the question, Graham, I had in my head uh, the line "imprisoned for a crime they didn't commit," <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> started thinking very much into the A team area and which I would absolutely pay good money to see Nick Cage in an 18 remake because I think that would be amazing um but yeah there is like I think if you look at the the way that the characters are written now um you can definitely see that I think yeah Cage's character would if you were going to make it today I suspect he would probably be from some form of um more marginalized community I would say you could quite easily see a 2023 version written now where you've got a person of color or where you've got um, a a woman in that role. And 
would subvert it a little bit. I don't think it would work today, but at the time you can exactly see completely where you're coming from. Like there's a, there's almost a little bit of train that I've got in, in my mind. Um, bear with me on this one that you could a few years earlier, you, you had Forrest Gump, which actually treated that kind of war veteran element in and, and touched on a lot of the similar kind of themes, obviously went in a very different route, but people who've watched Forrest Gump probably also watch Con Air and could kind of see these two films that have been released relatively close together that, yeah, veterans get a really raw deal. And you could absolutely see that sort of coming through. That said, if you drove like uh, probably about a decade, decade later, maybe, I can't remember the exact time that The Hurt Locker was released, but essentially Nick Cage's character in a decade, 15 years later, would have probably been Jeremy Renner's character in The Hurt Locker, who, you know, goes back home, but gets so bored, he has to go out for another tour again because he's got that element of adrenaline pumping through so it is he's definitely within that kind of narrative of the u.s military that we've seen over since the kind of 70s through to now but yeah the film itself wouldn't necessarily work with with the setup it's got but the character is absolutely believable because of its time it shows you can see the kind of journey those those military characters have gone on um, over the course of, of cinematic time. Although that said, I'd still love to see Nick Cage in the 18. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 if it was, if they remade Con Air now, uh, and although I'm usually opposed to remakes, I think that they should remake Con Air now. I think this, this is this, this, this needs Con Air is a blueprint of a, of, of of it's it's a it's a snapshot of society, Western society. In, in the late 1990s, I think that we could do with that. We could do with something like that now. Maybe such films exist, but, but they're just called something else. But if they made it now, it would, it would definitely be, it would be a person of colour, a vet, who, pro- who, gets into a, who gets into a dispute with a cop, probably accidentally kills a cop, and then goes to prison. And, and, and that would be, because Conair is a liberal film, right? Well, I think we established Conair is liberal. This is what, where it would be. The only thing that would probably make it difficult is in order to make it remotely realistic, they probably mean he would be coming out of jail about 40 years later rather than however long it was with, 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 with Cameron Poe in, in, in Conair. But it would, be, it would be something like that. I think, you know, Gary's right. You, when we talked about this on WhatsApp, I think it's worth raising it because in case you're too modest to raise it yourself, Graham, you suggested that a, a, a remake of Conair should be an all-female cast, which I'm massively, massively on board with, particularly if it includes Sally Can't Dance, because Sally Can't Dance is another very interesting character in this. And a, and a remake now <laughs> with Sally Can't Dance, Man Alive, that will, that will, that will upset some people. Well, I'm, 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 thinking, I'm, I'm thinking an all-female version of Conair. This is like basically Orange is a New Back on a Plane. Um, uh, yeah, I'm... Two hours of lesbian sex. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm more and more than down down with, with that for its so for its social commentary for its social commentary. That's what I'm there for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're confusing con with another word, Graham. <laughs> but yeah, you're right, Terry. This is a liberal film, of course, because all all the all the, the leading characters are Democrats, aren't they? And uh, and uh, of course, it 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 talks to people in the right. Because they they actually slow down the, the 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 dialogue in it. The dialogue is very slow, especially Nick Cage's dialogue. It's extremely slow, just so everybody can understand him, and and his hero's journey. He's it's like Odysseus, really, isn't it? This this whole thing. He's like been away for a long time, and all the trials and tribulations on his ship as he tries to get back to see his wife and his son, well, his son in, 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 in Odysseus's case. But you know what I'm getting. It's, 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 yeah. yeah, it's there, isn't it? Well, yeah, well, why not go for the classics? I mean, these are the basic fundaments of storytelling, exactly. aren't they? I these mean, stories like, have been told. I mean, yeah. That's not controversial at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so, I mean... We could just go through every every scene in the, in the film. There's, okay, <laughs> but I've been told to keep this down, and we've only got twenty yeah. minutes. But uh, 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 Terry, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you on this one because because I I love this whole premise. You you said uh, earlier on that the whole thing at Learner Field should have been the end when you first saw it. You thought this is going to be the end, um, mm. and it's not really. This is just more like um, it's more like 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 the main course, isn't it? 
that whole thing it, it's a, a rather and because you're going to get the Vegas dessert and port and cigars even are going to come out uh, as well later so it's a bit more of a Christmas dinner really isn't it it's uh that's so, um, but yeah learn a field when when the plane is when the well, one they're not on the plane anymore the plane is just there as it's basically a room now isn't it so it's that they go into occasionally um uh, well there's so much going on there so 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 what are your picks of that of that whole sort of part of the film well, yeah there is like there's tons going on the the, the setting of learn a field this this sort of like trailer trash dystopia the dried up swimming pools with the with the impoverished children the utter depravity this once upon a time would have been a thriving area right this would have probably been a thriving center of commerce and now it's just been run completely into the ground probably by republicans right <laughs> probably by republicans but not necessarily but probably by republicans yeah and it is it's 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 just the complete a completely a perfect illustration of social decay and and then in comes this plane full of some of the worst people on the face of the planet to come in and just like wreck it even further destroy what little shred of decency that there is and i think the thing that stands out to me of course is that this is where garland green who has a name like a 1960s batman villain <laughs> Most of them, in fairness, have the names like 1960s Batman villains. Um, ends up in dialogue with this little girl who is like just amusing herself, sitting in this dried-up pool, and it's the, the, and it's beautifully shot. It's got to be said, the photography is gorgeous. I mean, everything about this film is just brilliant. I mean, the photography photography is gorgeous, and it just the whole thing just looks so dystopian and so bleak and so ghastly. And then there's this poor girl who has absolutely nothing next to nothing and almost certainly no future and now she's sitting in front of this trying to make friends with this ghastly serial killer who cuts off people's heads and wears them as hats it's just there's so much to think about there uh, it's i, I mean and, it, and it, it affected me quite a lot just sitting there taking that all in while you still got all the crashing and banging around and stuff like going on you've got this serenity as well between these two and it's just so scary there's just peril upon peril upon peril you've got you've got Cameron Poe who's trying who really should just get off the plane and stay off the plane he's being told get off the plane you're a free man put your hands up in the air and you'll be with your daughter and your and your wife in no time he's gone no I've got my mate here my bestie here he's gonna die without his insulin and I have to save the fucking day so we've got all of that going on at the same time. And then in the middle, you've just got this little moment. And it's, it, it's absolutely fantastic. I happen to think the action sequences are a bit pedestrian, if I'm being completely honest with you. But, but you know, there's just so much peril happening there that it, it, it's, just, it's just wonderful and so compelling to watch. And, and this is where I think you see a lot of the film's influences as well. I mean, fairly obviously, Garland Green is influenced by Hannibal Lecter. That, that, you've got that iconography in there, but they twist it a bit as well. But it, it's, you know, you could just take that scene out of Learn Field. And it is a very, like, it, it's a big tone shift for the film. Um, and apparently it was a lot longer as a scene, but they cut it down because people at that point in test screenings just went, mm, this is this is suddenly quite different. So I think they, they, they kind of probably paced it about right. But you could take that scene and put it in the Hannibal TV series and you could, imagine, you could imagine Mads Mikkelsen probably sat there. And again, it would have that same kind of air of menace. But I was just as you were talking, Terry, the one film that I think feels like it's really influenced this, even though I've not seen anybody write about it anywhere is probably Mad Max. This feels like a Mad Max beyond the Thunderdrome. You could quite, you've got, um, you know, you've got Nick Cage as essentially the Max character in here. He's your man alone, just kind of fighting for what he does right because he's got that innate belief. So actually, while I said you couldn't see many other actors in here what you could do is potentially see this film if it was directed by george miller with mel gibson in it as another mad max film and i think we would all go holy shit this is incredible because you know again george miller um I, you know what actually i if we were going to redirect have con air remade 
in 2023, can we please have George Miller directing it? Because that would be phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It is post-apocalyptic, isn't it? I guess that's ultimately the thing. Is it began again because it, it, although it's not post-apocalyptic, it's because this place has just become so decayed. It looks post-apocalyptic, and then and and it does. It shifts it the the the, the movie out, and it's a, it's just a perfect backdrop for what's going down here. It's just like there's just like this collection of unspeakable evil. You know, in heat, got drug barons, you know, and mass murderers, you know, serial rapists, you know, and 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 it, it's just there's just so much ghastliness that it's just the perfect backdrop. I absolutely love it. I'm, I would I, I would be all here. It's not quite what you were talking about, but I mean the the idea of 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 John Malkovich as the Lord Humongous in 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 Mad Max is <laughs> one that I can definitely get behind. Ah, so tell us your story, Poe. <laughs> <laughs> what burned you out, Poe? Oh, I can just imagine John Cusack saying that, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, yeah. Poor old Mike Preston. We love him. We love him. <laughs> we you do know, indeed. Uh, no, but it, it all seems to just come back to this whole thing of Conair gets away with this because it's not knowing at all. It doesn't. It's not one of these films. It's not a, a, a liberal preachy film. That's what it, it's not, and uh, and it allow it gets away with all this stuff because it's not. And the reason why you can't remake it now is because it would be loaded with subtext right now. You 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 couldn't remake this without just piling on the subtext. Everything yeah. would would be you'd be able to read into everything because you'd say, oh well, they're they're doing that just to just to just to get on my on my wick so I can go and take to Twitter afterwards and say how it's just forgotten everything that the original film was about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's I, th- I think that is part of the genius of the film for me anyway is the fact that uh, uh, maybe maybe they they did know all this stuff but it just seems that, that what they thought they made was was something a reaction to all the action films that had been going on for the last decade or so this is about what 10 years after lethal weapon uh another one with the of the of the shoddy treat treatment of of of, of veterans there as well um mm. i, I and and you also well just short of a decade after Die Hard as well and let's face it it's got that Die Hard trope of the man on the inside thing same as Under Siege as well why don't they make more of those films what what was wrong with that what was wrong with that as a mini genre I I love that uh, so let's think about where this stands I mean we've we've been basically just enjoyed it uh, uh, enjoying it for the last three quarters of an hour or so so. If 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 we look at it now and think right, okay, what is the reason why someone who perhaps perhaps isn't our age, perhaps someone who was born after this film came, uh, came out, um, how are we gonna gonna sell this film to them in 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 the post um, Marvel Comics universe era? Um, how are we gonna sell this film, which is basically a very much a training ground for for what would happen you're right gary the casting here all of these guys would have come in wouldn't it it's it's, it's very much in that sort of mentality look well willem dafoe was given the green goblin just a couple of years later wasn't he uh mickey rourke was in uh iron man 2 wasn't he as well so it's 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 those sort of things the people who didn't get into this film they got into marvel films so so they didn't do too bad in the end um oh yeah nick cage was ghost rider wasn't he uh, mm. So, so come on then, Gary. How are you selling this film to someone in uh, someone a thirty-year-old friend of yours? You know, let's let's pretend you have friends who are who are very young. <laughs> Let, let's pretend for a minute that we are young men. And uh, I mean, it, look, I think there is something within this where I don't think it needs almost a lot of selling because we're used, like people are used to big still like big action films and there's a lot of action films that are quite beloved <clears throat> what this has going for it, i think you'd probably say is it's it's a fascinating film because the writing is just so good the script is so tight and actually there's a lot to unpick it's got great action sequences but if you're somebody of a, a kind of, you know, watching it from a, a kind of more modern sensibility actually the fact that we spent more time talking about 
the probably the more cultural reading of it and how it's aged a lot better than a lot of the other action movies of the time like you know we not that i think you can remotely compare the two but i wouldn't say that the transporter which was our last action movie landfill has aged massively well it's still a very enjoyable film it's just not aged particularly well <clears throat> there's a lot of other action films that of that era that are, are relatively forgettable that you wouldn't necessarily sort of go, yep, that is a, a classic of the genre. And I think it's probably one of those films that you tell and go, look, this is is worth watching because it's very much um, a film of its time. And this is probably a good way of understanding almost a lot of where we are as society today. Um, but it's also got great explosions and they crash a plane into a Las Vegas hotel. What is not to like about that? Um, and plus it's also got a great cast as well. Uh, the, the other really weird thing, or not weird thing, but you know, typically in action movies, women are sidelined, very much are in this one. But there's also an element of, I don't necessarily think it's particularly knowing and I don't think it's intentional, but because you've got so much testosterone in there and because there's a lot of thought into the script, there is a lot of, I think, thought about masculinity that sits behind it and that kind of quite toxic element in there. I mean, if you were, again, if you were making it today, Andrew Tate would probably be on that plane or a character like Andrew Tate would be on that plane. So you've got like, it's foreshadowing so much in there that you can enjoy it as a period of its time, but you can also go, you know what, if you want to watch this with a cultural studies critical eye, which you're absolutely fine to do, you know, some films you just sit back and let them wash over you. Actually, Connor is quite hard to sit back and watch, let it wash over you because, as, as you said, Terry, there is so much going on in every single piece of dialogue, every single shot, that you have to stay engaged and it gets your mind really racing. By, by the end and I think you know whether you like it or dislike it um, and I think from what I can tell that, that it's grown in in stature the longer it's been around which is unusual for an action movie film um, yeah there, there's there's a lot that I think you you can enjoy as somebody who would be perhaps coming to it and expecting something a little bit different from their their action heroes in this day and age because I wouldn't necessarily say that the uh, that all the Bruckheimer and, and action movie films are necessarily sit within that liberal side of things. But I think because you push it to its absurd limits, it's a, the absurdity suddenly becomes, well, what if you have liberals winning the day rather than your gung-ho right-wing people? I mean, again, you, you have that conversation with somebody in the pub, and I think they'd be at least curious to check it out. Even if they didn't like it, I think they would probably watch it and go, this is a really unusual, interesting action film. At least I hope they would. Some people just sit there with popcorn and go, on, holy shit, they've crashed a plane into Las Vegas, which, again, why would you not like that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's because it's, I mean, also it's because it's beautifully made, it's played, made to a very high technical standard, which which is which is fairly ageless. It's 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 pre CGI. It's not pre CGI, but it's 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 still largely relying on physical effects and stunt work, um, I think, to a very large degree. So uh, it looks authentic. It holds up well on the technical side of thing, and it is an emotionally intense, high octane action thriller. Uh, and and that is its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is to entertain people. Uh, it set itself up in a way, and whether it be by design or by accident, that yes, there's an awful lot that that, that culture vultures can look at and go, oh my God, this is this 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 film is saying so much, even though it's not necessarily giving you any messages it's saying you so much it's telling you a great deal so you can enjoy it on that level uh, and i enjoy it on that level but it but it is a it, it is a it's it's a it's a well-made film uh, and a well-made action film and if you like those kind of films then you should like this film without you know doing without without having too much too much difficulty the, I was going to ask for for either of you two actually. Are you, are you like surprised that there's not been a sequel, or they've not really tried to create a franchise out of Cameron Poe as a character? Because they did with Bruce Willis in Die Hard, and you know this feels like obvious sequel territory. Of where else can we put Cameron Poe as the <laughs> the man standing? No, well, it, it's all like 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 a lot of these the these films. It was just a throwaway one-off, wasn't it? And this is what the what the the Marvel Comics universe 
did so well, wasn't it? They just kept right. Okay, every six months we're going to come out with another one. We're going to re- bring back the the these characters like a soap opera. Um, of course, um, the name Cameron Poe does live on uh, in from one of the treatment writers in on on the film. A uh, certain young young buck called J.J. Abrams liked the character so much that when he got round to to working on Star Wars, he decided to to create a character called Poe Dameron. One letter different. I'd not put that together. Yeah, I'd not put that together at all because I I only found out about J.J. Abrams' involvement in this movie until uh, just seconds before we press record, so I hadn't put that together. Yeah, yeah, he was responsible for for one of one of the best lines in the film. It was uh, on a was a, on any other day that that might seem strange as the Corvette is being is being dragged down <laughs> the back. And th- that's one scene. That's one scene that encapsulates the whole film. It's like you could. It's it, it, we go back to Terry's observation about this being sort of like like some weird art house film, and it's there as this object of of. 50s rampant capitalism being dragged in the air floating in the behind um, and just ready to crash into the the relic of of a disused airfield it's um yeah, it's, it's beautiful it is it's, it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and uh, and 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 and, and it, it does mean something and it doesn't matter whether it was intentional or not it's not important no. what's important like all great art is what you get out of it yeah and <laughs> and that's that's what that's what you get. And that's out of it. that's what it is. If you're looking at great art, this is this is Jackson Pollock. This that's what this is. This is this is a high end Americana. This is this you you cannot avoid it. It is it is it is it is utterly beautiful. This film, and yeah. I'm so glad really we've is. had the chance to talk about this because, and I know that we could probably keep on talking about it for age. And listeners, if you want to join the conversation, please do. Uh, get in touch with us uh, on through the social media, through the Odd Job Pod on uh, on Twitter, and uh, and let us know your feelings about Conair because uh, we'd love to hear them. And and you 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 may have listened for the last hour hour in complete <laughs> amusement, thinking, what are these guys on? This guy, this film was just just a load of explosions and a load of no. un, un, unconvincing fight scenes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but it's done in such an amazing style, and when you've got John Malkovich coming on and being John Malkovich, just there on the screen, and you know, believing every moment, it, 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 he strikes me there in this role. And I think this is we don't see enough of him uh, nowadays because, because I think he, he's approached this like 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 Christopher Lee approached all his horror films, just turns up and just just does exactly no matter how ridiculous it all is you know this could be like the howling or something like that and yet he turns up and just delivers a perfect performance it's yeah just... you've got to put yeah you've got to put the kitchen sink into these things otherwise yeah they just fall apart they just don't yeah there's a there's a whiff of sort of like the, the golden age universal horror monster rally movies about it as well yeah. you get only the monsters are actually real people and in many ways far more terrifying than the legends with which the monster rallies are based upon the ending just have to say the ending like i don't mean obviously the climax that's that is very very great it is great is it and 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 cyrus's death is brilliant but the the reconciliation the reunion at the end i mean it's just so unremittingly cheesy and yet, and yet, it works. It's like so emotional. It's because because we've been we've, this sense of relief that this guy's made it there, and and it's so touching. The little bit with his daughter is just so touching. And the how do I live going on in the background is like so ridiculously cheesy. But that has worked. That got, that works even more so now because of course that song, which was out in 1997, so it was a popular song at the time. But now, you know, like how many breakups and makeups and makeouts and marriages and first dances have there been to that song in the last 25 years? It's an icon. It's an icon in of itself. And it adds additional weight to that scene. And even though it's atrociously cheesy, it's really, it, it really works. It really effective. Maybe I'm just a stupid, like, old man, but I think it really works. Uh, it, it gives heart to the film. It really does. And totally. Then it's something weird, like really odd, that happens after, which I'd, I'd completely forgotten about because it's been a long time since I've watched it. Then when you before the credits, you get the, all the actors in really cheesy grin poses. I love um, that. 
the end, which is just like, you've got all these people who are monstrous, horrible characters and villains, and you've got all of them turning and grinning and goofing to the camera. It's really similar. I think it was the same year that Goldmember was released, and they did that at the end of Goldmember. Con Air does it so much better. It's a throwback, isn't it? Great Escape did it, Top Gun did it, Top Gun Maverick, of course, did it as well. Spoilers. Wild Geese, Predator. Predator, they do that too. And they're all there, oh, he's incredibly tough guy, but they're all like smiling and like, oh, yeah, and it's like at the end of the film, it's like, it's almost like it's breaking the spell for you, which is like a beautiful moment. It's just like, you know, this is our play. Thank you for watching. Keep coming back to it. It has that feel of the A-team that's in there as well. Yeah. And I think that's why I, I love it because, you know, I love the A-team as a kid and I can see elements of that in there. And yeah, you just, you just absolutely go, oh my God, because you can, you, like you could see like the good guy, well, the sort of really weird good anti-hero guys. Can you imagine like a spin-off series where you start, you have like Nick Cage, his best mate, and then you've got Garland Green coming along for the ride and taking down like various empires in there. I mean, there's so much opportunity for spin-off here. And I think that's also why it probably works well because they've not studied the memory of it by trying to put, you know, spin it out and spin it on, spin it on. It's just like, yeah, it's there. But oh my... testament to the characters <laughs> Gary, I, 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 in this in this little little headcanon thing you've got here going if <laughs> you got have you got garland green as joe pesci's character in the lethal weapon uh, franchise here <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't but i have i have now <laughs> <laughs> well, I, actually i thought that's what that was my highlight at the end of the film is 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 obviously him at the crap stable uh, yes. like, and Papa needs a new pair yeah. of shoes, and literally, yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's a, that's that's perfect. I mean, again with the with the um, with the Hannibal Lecter callbacks as well, isn't it? Where where he's the one walking away out of it, mm. out of all the carnage, <laughs> just uh, perfect, perfect. I, I, do you know what? I think we have to stop talking about Con Air because. Um, it, because people have other things to listen to, uh, and, 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 and let's face it, let's face it, they want to watch Con Air now. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to want to watch Con Air right now. Is, I wouldn't mind. I'm, I'm tempted to put it on right now as well. <laughs> yes, go and watch Con Air uh, because it is brilliant, uh, as for all the reasons that we that we, we've said, and for many other ones as well. And you will find your own reasons for loving it um, because. Yeah, there is just it's just a, a near perfect film, and uh, I just cannot fault it. Five stars from me. Um, will we do so well next time, though, Terry? Terry, mm, are, are yeah. we, how are we going to do? It? Well, we need a change of pace. I think we, we, we're going to have a bit of a change of pace. Yeah, we can't just we, 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 it'll be unfair to put something like Under Siege against this one because no, you, I we mean do Under that. Siege has got to go on here, hasn't it? Well, at, at some, some point, point, at some point, we'll yeah. have to do it. We'll be doing Under Siege, yeah, yeah, yeah again, and and, um, and and the one I was gonna choose was the Peacemaker, um, but I just feel that that's just not gonna hold up after Conair because as as much as I admire the Peacemaker, it's not as good as Conair, and it's around that time. So I'm gonna go back a bit. And we're going to change the pace a bit. It's still an action film, but more of an action thriller. Okay. This one is set in Los Angeles in the 1980s. Hmm. Okay. Roy Scheider, Malcolm McDowell, Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder. You're, you're right on Ooh. the edge of, uh, of of the sell-through period, but I'll, I'll accept this one. It's just I've never seen Blue Thunder. <gasps> but it's on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, it's on there. Wow. Wow. See, I, I, I was thinking, how the hell am I going to get hold of a copy of Blue Thunder? <laughs> well, it's certainly on Netflix in the UK. Right. Uh, so hopefully it's in the, on Netflix in Australia as well. Okay. If it's not, then we might have to make a. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I can find a way to get hold of a copy of Blue Thunder. <laughs> I have ways. In- <laughs> it, it's in. It's in the bag, and you will be in this chair for Blue Thunder. Uh, and I think a lot of, there, there may be some listeners out there completely unfamiliar with with Blue Thunder, and and the uh, and the subsequent TV series as well. And the subsequent TV series, yeah, which was a bit of a flop. There may be some podcasters that are absolutely unfamiliar with Blue Thunder and the subsequent TV series. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just 
just fight if you find Airwolf and then just take a couple of steps backwards and then you'll find Blue Thunder. Yep, that's where it I, lives. I, I, that's I am where here it lives. for that. A definite change of pace from, from from Con Air. But but hey, we're still up in the air, so 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 there is a there <laughs> is true. some kind of theme anyway. Uh <laughs> Gentlemen, do we have anything more we have to say before I, before I, I, I close this this <laughs> before I close the doors? Just to foreshadow our next podcast, which of course will be back to our job pod and back to die another day. Oh God, yes, that, yes. <laughs> uh, <sighs> uh, am I allowed to claim therapist on expenses? Maybe what this- we'll do, chaps, is we'll just. Read, we'll just re-release this podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do everything. Yeah, I, I, it would be such a shame that, 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 that any new listeners uh, will, will, will just listen to the, to our positivity for an hour of this and then have to listen to, to Die Another Day. But we will do that. And that will be our next podcast, followed by Blue Thunder. And this is the way we're going to go for the year ahead. This is uh, going to be our 2023. And I hope that you look forward to it and I hope you join us as well and uh, and if there are films that you want that you, you think we should be covering from the mid 80s to the sort of mid noughties that you think fit into the uh, to the action movie landfill then then do get 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 in touch with us and any other comments that you have as well please do get in touch but that's all we have time for this week so from me Graham Sibley from Gary Andrews and from Terry DeFellon it's goodbye Goodbye. Goodbye. Put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the bunny. You, you, I think that you could actually just have a podcast series that talks about Conair every week. Oh, oh God, <laughs> you could totally do a by the minute on Conair. And I've got a, a by the minute, certainly. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I'm just saying, just like, just generally, just just talk about Con Air. <laughs> just constantly talk about Con Air over and over and over and over and over again. The same three guys, week on week after week after week after week, just talking about the same film. One of the commentary, wouldn't it? <laughs> maybe we should do. Yeah, it would be good because it would be nice to set up a commentary, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and maybe that's the that's the way ahead. Maybe what we should do. For Christmas in 20, Christmas 2023, is that we should revisit Con Air as a commentary. <laughs> that would be so much fun. <laughs> Since it seems to have had a profound impact. I mean, it, the impact on me was profound. I mean, I when I when you said when you wanted to do Con Air, I thought I struggle with this film, <laughs> but I haven't seen it yeah. probably since it, not long after it came out. And then when I sat and watched, I went, "Fucking hell, what is this film?" What a film. I genuinely am tempted to watch it again now. <laughs> yeah. I, of all the films that we've done on the across the pod, like Sandra will very, very rarely sit down and watch them because she's not like she's not really much of a fan of the Bonds. She'll she'll probably sit and watch the Craig ones because she quite likes them. Um but yeah, the action movie films, um, she's not really I think she kind of was tired, so she would have sat up and watched Lethal Weapon, but wasn't too fussed about it. Had no real interest in the transporter. But when I said Conair, she was like, "I want to watch that film. I really love mm. that film." <laughs> so it was one of Zoe's favourite films. Conair, she loves it. What would, ha- what would happen if you did Conair with Jason Statham in it? I mean, that would uh, that would basically be Zoe's idea of Venn diagram of action movie heaven. <laughs> it really would. <laughs> It really would. I was thinking what would be really good if they re- if they remade Con Air, but they actually did it with a crossover with the A team, and then put the A team in that plane with all of those villains. Now, see, see oh, this boy. this is partridge level. Yeah, the, you know, t- t- Terry, <laughs> Terry, Bing uh, Rains weren't going to get on no plane. Was it? <laughs> no, I oh, I forgot Bing Rains is um yeah Babarakas isn't he? No. Oh dear! See that A Team's a tragedy, isn't it? Because like if they, because they should have looked at Conair when they were looking at making that A Team remake. That was that was the way they were supposed to yeah. go with that movie. Yeah. Thinking about it, yeah. and yeah. it's a huge lost opportunity. Uh-huh. Hopefully, we'll get out. Someone will have a, have another crack at it and maybe see some sense. Mm. I hope so. It, it's a 
it's a franchise that really should have more legs given how good A Team was and the fact that they've managed to do Mission Impossible. <laughs> Oh come on! Eighteen was great. Like first, they are, first they... couple of series were, 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 were decent, but it, but it, it went downhill pretty rapidly, mate. It wasn't that good. Come on. I, I, look, I was. I was, <laughs> I was yeah, I know. I, I know. Well, we were all kids. It was. I mean, it's that old. This is the greatest TV show for like Saturday afternoon viewing ever. You just were hooked to it. Doesn't matter how ropey it was, and you are not going to sully my memories. No, I mean, I know. I'm not going to. I don't have to. Gary, if if you love the A team, Blue Thunder is going to be bang up your strass. Yeah, you'll love the A. Yeah, you will love it. Yeah, you're going to love Blue Thunder. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely coming from the same place. Yeah, no game.